Alright, you ready? Alright, here we go. Listen up these words, guys. Quiet, please. If you don't hear the words, it'll just be terrible. Coffee cup, cold and black. Wish it had a little shot of Jack. Besides that, can't complain. Just trying to do the dang thing. Might change the oil in my truck. I ain't paying no 35 bucks. Kids need shoes, mama needs Levi's. And I'm just trying to keep my daughters off the pole. And my son's out of jail. Trying to get to church so I don't go to hell. I'm just trying to keep my wife figuring out that I'm married up and she married way, way down in Alabama where they love Nick Saban trying to write a song the local country station will play I'm just trying to stay out of AA This episode of Dopey is brought to you by Oro Recovery they're located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, Western Los Angeles. They have ratings you wouldn't believe. Newsweek called them like the best rehab anywhere. It was created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission to create a treatment that treats addicts and alcoholics with compassion and connection rather than control. They have many decades of experience in treating drug addiction and alcoholism and treating co-occurring mental illness, including SMI. Everyone that I know that's been there can't say enough good things about Oro. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Sound bath meditation, equine therapy, surfing, and of course, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I cannot suggest going to Oro enough. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Sober Buddy. Do you guys know Sober Buddy? It's the little blue fluffy guy you might have seen on Instagram or Facebook. It is an app that helps you stay sober. They have a free sober tracker uh, up to the second. So go to YourSoberBuddy.com. Get the free sober tracker. I've actually been using the Sober Buddy app. They have amazing challenges, cognitive behavioral therapy-based challenges, and it makes the day nice. I really enjoy the Sober Buddy app. It's available at YourSoberBuddy.com or on the Apple Store, the Google Play Store. Check it out and post your clean time with their free sober tracker. Get it now. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Soberlink. As we all know, addiction is a serious issue that needs to be addressed. Nearly 15 million people in the U.S. have an alcohol use disorder, and that's alcohol only, not other drugs. Only 10% of those get treatment. This can be attributed to the stigma that surrounds addiction and how people don't want to talk about it. Their remote alcohol monitoring tool has helped over 500,000 people to be more accountable in their sobriety. The Dopey Podcast was started with open and honest communication about addiction and recovery. And Soberlink encourages this to help rebuild trust and maintain sobriety. So Dopey and Soberlink have teamed up to create a healthy habits guide for those in recovery. Visit www.soberlink.com dopey and download the healthy habits guide. And if you or someone you know could benefit from accountability for alcohol recovery, you'll also find a form on that page to sign up for 50 bucks off the promo code exclusive to Dopey Nation. So you get 50 bucks off your device 
at uh, soberlink.com. Let Soberlink help you to stay off of the sauce and use the slash dopey code to get the 50 bucks off. All right. Before we get to the show, I want to tell you guys about Mobilize Recovery. It's an amazing cause. It was started by my friend Ryan Hampton and his team. Mobilize Recovery is a cause that's going national this September, and it's a project that I really love. It's a nonprofit organization and a way for you to pitch in and help end overdose and addiction in America. There is a way for everyone to get involved. There's no cost. There is no hidden agenda. Mobilize Recovery is about you your community, our community, and what we can be doing together to inspire recovery solutions all across the United States. Here's Ryan. Hey, everybody. This is Ryan Hampton, recovery advocate and founder of Mobilize Recovery. And I'm jumping on with Dopey today because we need you to help end overdose and addiction and inspire solutions for recovery across the United States. This September, the nonprofit initiative Mobilize Recovery is launching a national bus tour in partnership with iHeartMedia and Google. And we want to learn what your community, your organization, and your projects are doing to mobilize for change. Help us map the journey across the country. Learn more today at mobilizerecovery.org and submit your ideas to us. There's so many ways for you to get involved and to help us highlight the recovery experience that is so unique in different regions across all 50 states. Go to mobilizerecovery.org to learn more and to help us map this journey. And I hope we get to meet so many of you this coming September during National Recovery Month. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave. Uh, before we start the show, I want to ask you to subscribe to Dopey. We never ask anyone to subscribe. We don't have a lot of subscribers. Subscribe to the show. We have a ton of listeners, not a lot of subscribers. Give it a shot. Also, subscribe to YouTube. So go to Patreon. There's, there's new shit on Patreon. A bit with Howie a thing on sex addiction. Mick Popham does a video story that I just fucking love to pieces. I loved it so much. I might just play an audio version on here, but go to Patreon so you can see Mick Popham and all his British slash uh, Kiwi brilliance. And um, this week was very special. It was my birthday. I turned 48 and I feel, uh, I feel pretty good. My 48th birthday was not spectacular, but the week has been really good. And the, the crazy thing is that tomorrow is my 30th high school reunion. And uh, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about my high school reunion because it kind of tracks. It tracks my history a little bit. Like uh, I went five years ago. And five years ago, Dopey was two years old. And it was... Um, you know, I was, I think I had just stopped waiting tables at Katz's or I was just phasing into whatever I do there, catering and stuff. And Chris was still alive and, um, and I was sober two years and I couldn't shut up about being sober for two years, but I went five years before that. And that reunion, I was in between relapses and I think I was sober for a few weeks and everyone was drunk and high and I couldn't shut up about being sober then. So I think tomorrow night, one of my missions is to not 
discuss my sobriety that much. I might brag about dopey, which will inevitably lead to me talking about sobriety, but whatever. The other thing that I've been thinking about in general is like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying my sober life, whatever I'm enjoying. I love making dopey. I love the growth of dopey. I love what we're doing. I like the new people we've had on the show. I like it when we do the homespun shit. I like it when we have celebrities. Like today, we have this giant country pop star, Walker Hayes, which is out of nowhere. Thanks to uh, Toodles for Chris Foundation chairperson, Justin Cambria. Let's give him a shout out. Shout out to Justin. I know how much you guys love shout outs. I wonder if I'm going to start doing shout outs now because of Jay. I also want to give a shout out to Weed Huffer of... uh, of dopey Reddit. And there's a lot of criticism of Fentanyl J. There's a lot of a lot of mixed reviews about Fentanyl J, but I'm going to save that for when J returns cuz that'll be fun to talk about. A lot of you guys love J, a lot of you guys are not so sure about J. I love J. I think he's an amazing addition to the show and um it reminds me J remind obviously I didn't have a story like Jay's, but all of this stuff when when we get to the to the raw shit the raw dopey shit it reminds me of how different my life was when i was using and when i was using it was just uh i i, I didn't want recovery i wanted I, I was always trying to figure out the equation of how i could keep using and i only stopped using because i don't know i got lucky something happened something clicked in my mind so i want to say before we say anything else that i I'm really, really, really happy that I'm sober, that, uh, that dopey is, is pumping along and that, uh, and that I'm in recovery and I'm coming from that place. And I like it when the show is chock full of dopey. I like it when the show has some recovery. I like it when we have pop stars. I like it when we have people from, you know, wherever. So that's my big, my big spiel for today. That's me reflecting on the past. So before we get to Walker Hayes, I'd like to give some more shout outs and we won't call them shout outs. We'll call them thank yous. I'd like to thank Fentanyl J for being so raw on the show. I want to thank fucking Cormac for running Reddit so well. And shout out to Cormac. What the fuck? I want to, I want to thank the, the Facebook dopes, uh, Catherine and Andrew, if he still exists and Leah. And of course the great Paulina, um, I want to thank everybody who participates. I want to give an extended thank you to the Dopey Fairy, Misty, Janny, who's out of the Dopey Nation Facebook group, but always in our hearts. She did so much work. She gets an extra thank you. I want to thank the Dopes and Dopey Zoom, Lizanne and Steph, and even fucking Jeff May. I want to thank everybody who's out there pumping along. I want to thank fucking Britta, Dopey Artist, who, uh, makes candles for us at North Avenue Candle Company. If you want candles, you go to North Ave Candle Company slash collection slash dopey. Super high quality candles. My dad bought some. They look really good. They smell good too. And uh, fucking Britta uh, decided she was going to trip mushrooms with her boyfriend um, or with her friends. And she fucking broke her foot in a creek. So we wish an extended get well shout out and thank you to uh, dopey artist Britta. We want to thank Nama Stay at Home Dad for doing all this cool Instagram work. We want to thank Nat Kingsley from Recovery in the Middle Ages for all of his work. We want to thank Howie, fucking working tirelessly. 
All right. I think that's a lot of thank yous. If I didn't thank you, I apologize. The point is Dopey is a, uh, a fucking, uh, a family. We're a community and, and, and everyone who is a part of it, I thank you. And, uh, I don't know if you guys remember this guy. There was this guy from back in the day, uh, who called himself crazy otter and crazy otter. He sent in some really crazy emails. He was a hardcore drug addict. He is a hardcore drug addict. He's in recovery now. And he didn't even know about Chris. He, and, and he wrote me on Instagram the other day and he's like, uh, Oh my God, I just saw that Chris died. How's Todd doing? It's like to, to, it's like somebody getting unfrozen out of a block of ice. And, and my favorite thing that crazy Otter did dopey art. My favorite thing that he did is he did a dopey logo that said peyote in the dopey font with Carlos Santana as the O and one day Carlos Santana will be on dopey. It will happen. That is going to happen. All right. Now, before we get to Walker Hayes, I want to read an email. All right, here we go. My name is Tim. I live in the suburbs right outside of Philadelphia, but it's not Tim from Philly. So obviously I used to go cop in Philly. One night, me and a guy I know, I don't say friend because he wasn't. He was just some dude who introduced me to my connect. We were driving around waiting on the guy to call us back so we could go get our shit. He finally calls us and tells us we could come grab some samples. You know, I never got samples. Maybe I got samples a couple times, but not, not enough samples in my life. It was a new batch of shit. So he would, oh, here we go. The funny part about the whole sample situation is that we dealt with about four different guys and they were all from the same family. So when one would call to give us samples, all four of them would end up calling for us to come grab samples. <laughs> so now we are on a mission to drive to all the different dealers to pick up samples. What a world Philadelphia is. We were on our way to the third guy when we get close. He tells us to give him about 10 minutes. We end up driving around for about 15 to 20 minutes till we finally meet up with him. So we now have about six bags each. Wow. Because each guy gave us two bags. I pull away from meeting him. I turn the corner and the blue lights go on behind me. I'm in my wife's parents' car and I have a suspended license. So immediately I think I'm fucked. The cops come to the car. They don't ask for any of my information right away. They just ask what I'm doing in this neighborhood. So I start trying to make up some bullshit excuse. They don't believe me at all and say, just be honest with them and it will make my life a lot easier. So me and the guy I'm with finally tells them what, what, what they're looking for. We told them we were there to get dope. He asked me for my life. It's never smart to do that, I don't think. He asked me for my license. I give him my license. He takes me out of the car and walks me to the back of the cop car. He doesn't search me uh, or anything. He puts me in the back of the car with the window down, and he proceeds to talk to the guy I'm with. I'm listening, and I hear the cop talking to the guy I'm with, saying, don't I know you from somewhere? And he says, yeah, I brought, I brought you in on a high-speed chase about six months ago down at Cobbs Creek. So at this point, I know I'm fucked. And I'm going to jail. So I reach in my pockets and I pull out all six bags of dope and I just start snorting them as fast as I can. I'm sitting in the back of the cop car, high as fuck, just waiting to be brought to jail. Five minutes later, the cop walks over, opens the door, pulls me out, takes the cuffs off and tells me if he sees me in this neighborhood again, I'm going to jail. I couldn't fucking believe he was letting us go. I was happy I wasn't going to jail, but I was pissed. I just did all my dope. So we got back in the car, drove to the last guy who had samples for us and parted ways. And we both went home. 
I just wanted to share that story with you. I love your podcast. I listen to it every day and I'm going to keep listening to it. Uh, stay strong, Dopey Nation and toodles for grit for Chris. Today is my five year birthday. Thank you for do. Oh, whoops. I don't know who that was from, but the, oh, it's Tim. Then, the, then I got another quick email. Today is my five year birthday. Thanks for doing Dopey keeping it going and being a part of my sobriety. Love you, Dave and toodles for Chris. And that is Bill. O. he's a, a old school dope. So congratulations, Bill. I want to give a shout out to Aaron for all you do. Aaron is also getting crazy surgery today. So let's give prayers towards Aaron Carr, the strung out author by a book from Aaron Carr. And let's get to Walker Hayes. But before we get to Walker Hayes, I want to remind you guys about this incredible company, Athletic Greens, and their product is AG1. I swear I, I take AG1 every day. Before I, I pray and meditate and do my push-ups and sit-ups and drink coffee, I drink AG1, and I love how it makes me feel. First of all, it's delicious. Secondly, it makes me feel like I'm doing something healthy for myself. Thirdly, it's this incredible uh, quality for my gut. It makes my stomach feel good. It's lifestyle-friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, I don't do any of that stuff, but I still love the AG1. It's as good as a multivitamin. It's got high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. It was created with by this guy who was putting all this money into fixing his gut, and he wound up figuring out how to make it where it's only less than $3 a day, which is cheaper than a fucking cold brew. It has over 7,000 five-star reviews. Fucking Tim Ferriss stands by it. It is a great, great product. I like it. I take it every day. I suggest it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel bags with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash dopey. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash dopey to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And there's a dopey listener, Noel, who was taking it, taking it, taking it, and he stopped taking it and he got sick. Coincidence? I don't know. Is it odd or is it Todd? Now, before I say anything else, um, we have Walker Hayes. Big time guest, country music artist author, king of the pop charts, an unlikely spokesperson for Applebee's. Hello and welcome to Dopey, uh, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave and I'm ridiculously excited. We have a very, very big time guest. He is a singer-songwriter, a country artist, which I don't think we've ever had on Dopey, an author, and uh, his name is Walker Hayes, a TikTok viral sensation. Welcome to the show. What's up, Dave? Thanks for having me, bro. Where are you at, man? Where are you? I'm in my studio. I call it my studio. It's it's really a, a closet in my house. And um, I'm in Thompson Station, Tennessee. And uh, I just woke up, man. Me and my family, we do really, really, really late nights. And we... Um, and we sleep late in the morning. So, but I'm bright eyed and bushy tailed. Got some coffee here, and I'm ready to talk to you, bro. Six kids. How late do you stay up with the kids? We stay up so late, man. We've we've always homeschooled our kids. Our kids from are from 16 years old to six, and um, man, they stay up till two just about every single night. And uh, that was because 
you know, we wanted them kind of with us, you know, as I did my job and stuff. And I do, I play a lot of late night shows. And, uh, so yeah, we're, we're on a different schedule than, than most people with a lot of kids. That's for sure. A lot of people are like, man, don't you wake up at 5am and stuff. And I'm like, no, there's none of that in my house. Well, that's a, you should be happy for that. You know, I know. Yeah. I, I, I heard you talking about it on a, on another podcast, just the road life. And if you guys don't know Walker Hayes, I want to tell you like fucking, I was at my daughter's, I was very excited to have you on the show. Walker, Walker just had this incredibly big smash fucking song. Fancy. Like when did it, it came out a couple of years, it came out last year or two years ago. When did it come out? It was last year. It's about a year old now, a year and a couple months. But man, we look for everybody listening. I didn't have any career. I, I didn't have any promise for a career. Uh, I love to write songs and I've been doing that since 2004. And I mean, when I say I love it, I mean, I'm just obsessed with it. I, I'm always writing a song and I always thought the way I would feed my family is possibly some other artist would cut something of mine you know and that's how we would pay the bills but we had this crazy song about applebee's pop out uh last year last um may or june and my, my daughter and i did a dance and ever since then it's been gangbusters i mean we are i'm all over the country singing that song and we we had a follow-up song called aa so it's been a whirlwind of a year man an unpredicted just out of the sky uh, smash just blessing of a year it's a smash like the thing i was gonna say is i have a 12 year old and i have a four year old yeah. and i told my 12 year old that you were coming on and she's like i know the dance daddy i want to show you the dance and she like she starts yeah. doing the dance and then we went to my four-year-old's tramp we had a party at a trampoline park on sunday yeah. and uh or saturday and they start playing the song and my daughter's like my daddy's interviewing him and i was like yes i'm interviewing him <laughs> And I was very proud. It was a proud moment. That's awesome. Yeah, man. It's been it's been crazy. Just something me and my daughter did. I mean, I'm I'm no TikTok whiz by any means, but we just we just did it one day and the next thing you know, man, the whole whole world's doing it. It was crazy. Yeah, I mean it's very catchy and it's very likable. Like you and your daughter, yeah. like it's you have to like it. And the song, I mean, is very catchy. I'm I'm a songwriter too. I didn't take yeah. the plunge. Like I, I didn't, I didn't have like the ability, the confidence, whatever. Right. I, I didn't take the plunge, but I wanted to. So I want to start there. Like how yeah. old were you when you wrote your first song? Uh, I wrote my first song when I was 23. So I was really late to that party. You know, I had no, I had no idea growing up that you could, that people even did that, you know, to, for a job. So I, I didn't even explore, you know, that option. Um, and I definitely wasn't like, I didn't grow up being some kind of, I, I sang in plays and I sang in choirs and stuff, but I never thought, Hey, maybe I'll do this, you know, as an occupation. But my dad actually got me my first gig. I was 22 and I was about to get married to my high school sweetheart, Lainey. And who's now your wife heard me in the, he heard me in the living room one day, just messing around. I was mimicking somebody and he said, man, you're funny. You ought to do that at this bar. And he got me this gig off of Dolphin Island Parkway. And I was furious. You know, my, I was so mad that my dad 
you know, had signed me up for something that I did. You know, I was afraid. I was so frightened. I, I didn't want to do it. And I only knew a few songs. And I played that gig. And uh, the, the lady, her name was Trudy. She actually gave me free beer to sing. <laughs> and uh, the gig was amazing. I mean, I loved it. The gig was not good, but it changed my life. And um, I just fell in love with that. And I, I called my fiance at the time and said, hey, you want to move to Nashville? And she said, why not? And then I told her parents, um, they weren't quite, you know, they didn't, they didn't really get it. And, um, as they shouldn't have, you know, it didn't make any sense at all, but we moved to Nashville and the first thing, one of the first shows I went to was the Bluebird Cafe. And man, once you, once you hear a songwriter sing their own songs, you know, it, it can be very moving. And uh, I left the Bluebird Cafe uh, right after we got married, and just I, I was I was writing a song on my way out of there, and I haven't stopped since. Amazing. So before your dad got you the gig, you were like musical theater guy, church guy. You liked singing, but you were never like I want to be a singer. What happened when you sang that night? That was like this is what I want to do. And twenty three is very late. It's very late. Yeah, no, it was just performing in a different capacity. I mean, like I said, I had been in choirs and stuff, but I had, I had honestly, when my dad got me that gig, he and I were selling real estate. I had just finished, you know, taking my real estate license. And so I was going to work in Mobile and sell real estate with him. But yeah, that night a switch went off, you know, and, um, I don't know. There's a few things in my life that I've been very loyal to on a whim. You know, there wasn't a lot, a lot of thought. One was, was marrying Lainey. You know, she and I were actually broken up for a year and then we got back together. And I guess, I guess that was a more scientific decision. You know, I, I, we had been together for many years and then we were, we took a break and it's like, we learned like, Hey, this is, you know, we, we just need to be together. And then, um, but yeah, you know, I made that decision on a whim and, uh, we just came to Nashville in 04, but the, a light went on, you know, the, the gig wasn't good. Um, it was fulfilling. It was a rush. It was an adrenaline rush. It was one of those like, um, where scary meets excited at this in this perfect place, you know. I mean, I I really was. I was so frightened. My fingers wouldn't listen to my brain, you know. I was like, "Come on, you know how to make this core, you know, just make it." And there was that battle going on while I was singing, and then at the same time, I found myself like the first song. I had some jitters. The second song, some of those jitters went away, and then by the third song, I was Elvis Presley. You know, it was like. It was very, uh, it was just kind of this gradual falling um, into a calling type thing that night. And um, I don't know, it really did. It it sparked something magical. And I'm, and man, I'm so glad. It, it's one of those moments I look back and I go, man, I wanted to say no to that gig so bad. I mean, I begged my, I begged my dad, like, get, get me out of it. You know, tell Trudy. Um, I'm sick, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have the guts, you know, there's no way I'm going to do that by myself. And, uh, I'm so glad as bad as the gig was, I'm so glad I did it. 
That's so crazy. It's also just so cool that your dad believed in you on something that you didn't even know. Like, that's a weird premonition kind of thing. Yeah, my dad was a superstar, man. He, he, that, that guy, he thought I could do anything. You know, he really did. And, um, you know, case in point, I mean, I, I really wasn't, I wasn't up to snuff as far as, doing what I did that night. And by God, I mean, I was, I was not, I was not Nashville material and I'm still not, you know, oh, I mean, stop it. Stop it. Don't I, Hey, I, Hey, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not joking, man. I, 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 um, you know, I go to these award shows and I, and I, I feel out of place. I mean, I look around at the talent that's, that's in this town and I'm, I'm telling you, man, it's, it's, it is a, a God thing. He, God is like my dad. He, he obviously wants me playing shows in places that I, I, I would never have assumed I belong. But, but bro, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll, well, I'll, I think I'll I ride think this wave as long as it's going. I think you feel out of place because you're an alcoholic, and alcoholics feel out of place everywhere. You know what I'm saying? Like it's the classic so, imposter syndrome shit. You know what? You you you're exactly right, and. Um, yeah, and you know that was you know I sp- speaking of alcohol, you know I I I drank since I was thirteen, and um, you know when I when my dad you know got me that show, you can bet I I was I was lit you know when I did it, and while I you know I was drinking while I I played, and that you know seven years ago, that's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life is get on a stage. Uh, stone cold sober, you know, I mean, just absolutely back to square one, probably like below square one, you know? Um, and it was really, it was devastating for me to have had already had, you know, 10 years in Nashville, 11 years in Nashville under my belt. And then to feel like I was starting again, you know, especially in the performing realm. Um, and then also just, I'd never written a song uh, sober, you know, and so I, I was, I was deathly afraid that there was something magic in that juice, you know, and uh, and that I, you know, and that my creativity stemmed from, you know, from being drunk, and and um, yeah, that was a gosh, that was crazy, man. I mean, I didn't know what to do with my hands. I still don't really. Um, I get it. It makes sense to but, me. Yeah. When you're 13, like, how does how do you have the first drink at 13? Like, what was that? So as oh, that's a great that's a great question. And I t- I've told my kids this story, you know, because they're I have a 16, 14, and 12, and a 10 year old. But I was with a group of friends, and uh, growing up, I, I I had older brothers and sisters, and I I hung out with a lot of older people. I remember classes ahead of me graduating and me feeling sad because I was losing, you know, some of my best friends and they played on teams with me. And, uh, I was a very, very, um, I always, as a kid, I always felt like it, uh, like in a bubble looking out at the whole world, you know, and very observant and, um, and taking it all in. And I was not a, not an assertive, not a, not a brave kid by any means, not a very secure, courageous individual, not a very confident individual. I would have never 
walked up to a girl and been like, Hey, what's up? You know? <laughs> and, uh, and I, when I was 13, I was out on a playground with a group of girls and guys, tons of girls and guys. And we, uh, we had actually just left my, um, choir practice from Spring Hill Baptist church <laughs> of all things. And, uh, we're sitting out at this public school playground and, uh, you know, somebody had a case of probably like Miller light and the girls had a, a bunch of Zima. You remember Zima? Sure. And, um, bro, I, I, I just, it wasn't even like peer pressure. It was kind of a me. I didn't even get, I didn't even want to get to the peer pressure part. So I was like, yeah, dude, pass me. Pass me, one, a, pass me know? a Zima, and, man. Uh, and bro, I, I started drinking and I probably had, you know, two and a half or three and I immediately, I will never forget it, man. I, I immediately remember feeling like I stepped out of that bubble and into where everyone else was. Right. And I was funny. I was quick witted. I was confident. Mm -hmm. Um, I was everything that I wasn't without that. And from then on, it was, it was almost like it was a Superman cape for me. You know, it was like, I am, I'm the guy I've always wanted to be, you know? And of course, look, that's not going through my mind. Then this is, this is a reflection. Absolutely. This is like the 42 year old Walker looking at 13 year old Walker. But that is exactly what happened. I mean, I, I, I kissed a girl, you know, that night that I never would have, never would have spoken to. Um, I smoked cigarettes that night, you know, that I never, I would have been like, what, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, but yeah, it, it changed my life. And sadly, what I thought was a beautiful way, you know? Um, and, and honestly, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I mean, sometimes I don't know if I would know my wife if, if I hadn't, um, you know, been an alcoholic at an early, <laughs> early, early age. You well, know? I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with any of it. You know, the only thing that's wrong is like, you can't build a life. Like you can build a life alcoholically, but your, your odds of like having joy in your life diminish every drink you have every day you go like your life is like going into a corner with drugs and alcohol and it goes like this without but there's nothing inherently wrong with using or drinking like i loved getting high it just wasn't going to yield me any kind of joy so when you go over all that shit and you were open to, like oh, smoking cigarettes you know i loved smoking cigarettes but just to be open to experience open to women being confident there's none of those things are wrong it's just that alcohol can't yield anything past the quick thing, right? Right. Right. And yeah, I mean, you know, as it, as it grew, um, you know, for me, the, you know, and I guess I, I think I, I've talked to a lot of people who can relate, like the lies began, you know, just right. How much, how much are you drinking? Ah, a couple, you know, and that, that was just, it was just false. Um, and that, you know, that, that's where, you know, it, it, it definitely got sketchy, you know, as we're, we're here in Nashville, you know, and we move here, it's like, 
I was just a, I was such a high functioning alcoholic in a business where really there's not a lot of accountability. Like there, there was nobody checking in on writer sessions saying, Hey, you guys, you guys getting wasted up in here. You know what I mean? Like there's no, there's really no boundaries in my business. Like I don't have to put on khakis and, um, not smell like a keg, you know, it just, it just didn't matter. Um, when you're a songwriter so that that created kind of a haven, you know, for me to continue. Um, and, but yeah, man, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing. You know, it's a, it's a, it's somewhat of a, of, of a family thing. I don't want to bring my, my siblings into it, but they, you know, they have, they've struggled. Um, some of them have been sober longer than me and, 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 and gone back sadly. Um, you know, and so, um, it's a, it's a thing, man. <laughs> when do you think you knew it was a crutch or a problem? Like how old were you when you were like, fuck, I am lying. I I'm not, this is, this is getting a little ahead of me, you know, like, and you started to notice how connected, how much you needed the drink or you felt like you needed the drink. Well, I'll say, okay, so I'm 42, it's going to be seven years. I'd say when I was 33, 34, I knew I was lying, but continued to lie. So I knew, I knew that that this thing had control over me, you know, and that, um, you know, that I could do the like I'm a quit for a week to prove to everybody, you know, bam, I have this under somewhat of some kind of control. You know, I, th I know a lot of friends that that have, that have kind of been kind of done that lately you know and it makes them it builds this like oh yeah see like you know if i you know everybody a lot of my friends they're like oh if i can quit for you know seven days i'm good that means that means i'm all right but you know like i said when i was 33 34ish i began to know i was lying and uh it just admit it you know not not wasn't lying to me anymore even though i was lying to everybody else and then man i had i had some great conversations with my wife where finally you know i would admit to her um you know she is my best friend and i would admit i would admit to her hey look i got a problem you know this is um uh, you know and i would say things like i'm just like my brother i mean i'm i'm just i'm the same it's, it is no different, but I don't know how I would proceed with life without it. You know what I mean? And I would, I would confess to her that exactly. Just say, Hey, look, I'm, I'm with you. You don't gotta, you don't gotta get angry. You don't gotta, you don't gotta tr try to convince me that I'm always wasted. I literally pass, you know, that you don't gotta, you don't gotta convince me that that's an issue. I just don't know, you know, I don't know if you're going to like, and I know I'm not going to like what all, what this is without this, you know? And, um, I basically, I remember writing a song that says, uh, you know, a song songwriting dude, man, praise God for songwriting because it's basically been the therapy that I couldn't afford over the past, you know, 15 years. And there was a song, I remember writing a song about this time. And, um, 
it, it basically just said, you know, I don't, I don't love how low I've sunk, but I'm more fucked up when I'm not drunk. And it was just, it was that fear, you know, it was, it was a confession of like, you don't want to see how messed up I am, you know, when I don't have this, this leveler, you know? And so, um, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was, uh, that was kind of when, when it all began with me say, what's odd though, is that the day I quit drinking, I, I have never physically, um, look, look, dude, I'm, ne- I mean, before, I've never had a headache. I'm just, I'm just not the guy. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I just, it's kind of wander and go on through life. And I, I'm not really, uh, how do you say it? I, I don't really like you're healthy. You don't complain. You don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I will trust me. I will complain, but just not about like, again, like I, I, I don't have headaches. I don't take like NyQuil. Like I don't, if I got a runny nose, the show goes on. It's like, whatever. But I mean, I, I woke up one Saturday and I physically, I was working at Costco at the time, and, and I was working mornings, man. It was crushing me. It was like 4 a.m. to 10, and then I would write, and then we would, you know, I'd play shows if I had shows. And I woke up one Saturday morning, and I, I literally went from, I mean, I had been drunk for basically eight years, and I woke up on a Saturday, and I it's, it's like the, the nastiness inside me, I was going to die. I just, I have no idea why. Uh, I can't explain it. I woke up and I, and I, my, my brain listening to my body said, if you do this one more day, you just, you're going to die. Your body is going to shut down. And I don't even know. I've never felt like that way since I've never felt like that in my life. I've, I've never felt I've never really just thought about mortality and death. And you know what I mean? I just literally woke up that day and it was like, it's almost like I detested just the taste, the anything. Um, And my body just literally just felt like it was shutting down. And um, in an effort just to save, you know, my organs, I just didn't drink one day and it was the first day in a really, really long time um, that the first thing I didn't do was uh, take a drink and it, it felt better. Like it stopped whatever that feeling was. And then the next day, you know, and two days turn into a week and that first week was just really just, weird um it was there were some good feelings but there were also just some pain just nasty you know feelings it's like my body was kind of shocked sure um did you go through did you go through uh dts i don't even know what that is it's like crazy like alcohol withdrawal shakes and fucking yeah yeah no i had some shakes there were some shakes at nights and um no hallucinations, was, though. No, no hallucinations. Um, but just, just emotionally, it was a tough week. And and what happened was, I made it through a week, 
and then a week turned into two. And then there was this on, uh, I don't think it's like the healthiest, healthiest way to quit or like the greatest reason, but Hey, like, you know, whatever was keeping me sober at that point, I'm, I look back and I'm grateful, but I, the, just the, the pain and agony of, of like going one week, I knew that, um, I just didn't want to go backwards. You know what I'm saying? So in my head, I was like, man, I don't want to do that first week ever again in my life, you know? And so one week turned into two. And then when we got into the months, <clears throat> I was sure I was like, no way I'm doing that again. Like, I don't ever want to have to lose something like that again. And man, also another, uh, and I'm just being frank w with you here. Good. The, another and this is not healthy i don't recommend this to anyone but my wife was at the time she was like she was googling like these rehabs you know and bro the last thing at that moment i ever wanted to do was was go sit you know i mean i had i had six kids at that or five kids at that time you know, I did not want to leave and talk to strangers about myself and my childhood. You know, I, did, I just like the thought of that. Um, oh, my God. I, I, I was just like, no, 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 no. I'm not letting it. And, and honestly, I think part of the reason why I just hated that is, is I grew up going to those things. You know, I grew up. I grew up going to family day, um, you know, for, for members of my family. And I, and I had seen, you know, all that stuff. And I hadn't seen, honestly, I hadn't seen a lot of results, you know, sadly the odds of recovery, they suck. You they're know, slim. I mean, we, you know, they're, they're, they're not great. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, that was also, you know, that day when I woke up, it's like I started doing the math and I was like, okay, my, my body is dying. There, there's something wrong with my body. Lainey is, you know, Googling this. And then there were the, the outlandish just, you know, there were nights I woke up at home and I, all the time I would wake up and I didn't know how I got there. Um, there were near DUIs like once a month. Um, Let me ask you, you know, something. Were, when when you're when yes. you're a, when you're a singer songwriter, right, and you're running around playing shows, drinking, like how incubated is your career with alcohol and also the culture? It, like, you know, I'm a Jew from New York City, but I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict too. But like, and I like old school country music. I like your country music. But there's something inherent in the culture, or is there? Let's think a question. Is there something inherent in the culture like beer drinking? staying out late being this road dog type like is it is it part and parcel to the identity of being a singer songwriter in country music yeah it's not necessarily like a pre but it like incubated is a great word it's a great place to hide and as long as you know as long as you're not getting on stage and just wasted you know, yeah and that's the that's you know and you you and i both know like there's a high, you know, you can really get high, high function. I mean, I was working at Costco and I was their best stocker in the produce section. And 
I was hammering, you know, vodka in my coffee every day, you know, and I was still drunk from the night before starting again on another day. And that's kind of, you know, when you, when you're a country singer, nobody care if you're up there and you're a little belligerent and you're a little wasted, it almost adds right to the experience you right. know that nobody nobody hates you nobody's nobody's like ah oh, you need to get your you get your shit your together, together. <laughs> yeah. right and so yeah i mean it's a it's a great place you know as a functional alcoholic to live like i said it's a haven it's a it's a it's it's okay you know if you if it's if it's 11 a.m. and you meet for a right and you're going to have you know a shot to celebrate we're writing together that's okay if you wrote a bad song that day and you're gonna go drink with some buddies that's commiserate right it's part of the deal right uh were you doing any other drugs were you smoking weed were you doing coke were you taking pills no nothing no um you know i mean there were there were opportunities you know to do those things and um no i never and honestly you know I had a, I have a fear, um, you know, it was by the grace of God. I have a fear of some of those things. I mean, I had, I had a kind of a, a little short stint with Oxycontin in college and I don't, I don't know how, but I ran out and it was good that that ended, you know, for, for just, financial reasons because i would have just i would have loved it it, it was amazing how you did know, you stumble like, how did you stumble into oxys i had some arm surgery i broke my arm snowboarding right as a junior in college and um you know i got a couple bottles of that stuff and i'm bro you know one of those and a couple beers is uh it's amazing um, and you know, I actually sold some of it, so I ran out and, uh, and, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've always had a fear of that stuff. And again, it's, I've, I've seen the, the NA meetings. I mean, I've, I've, I've watched, um, relatives, you know, start stealing, you know, from, from neighbors' houses, going through medicine cabinets, um, just to find stuff like that. And, um, and I'm the same way. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm the exact same mentality. And so I've always, you know, especially like some with a needle or anything, I'm just, I'm like, nah, I'm never too much for you. I've never gone there. And, and, but the alcohol was something that you could kind of feel like you could control and it gave you the, the results you wanted and, and you didn't have to, like, the thing that you described as a kid, like being fearful and being not comfortable in your skin is the classic alcoholic drug addict condition. And then you medicate it with alcohol. And then you become, you kind of become this guy who's, who's a singer-songwriter. It's like a superhero path, right? It, it's like a really right. fantastic plan. Like, I also am just curious when you started, when you, when you decided, cause it's one thing to go to a bar and play a song. It's another thing to say, I want to be a songwriter. So right. like, where did the dream of songwriting come out of from, from the performance stuff in the beginning? That was uh songwriting came from that trip to the bluebird. I, we went to the bluebird the second Monday 
<clears throat> I was here in 2004. So it would have been <clears throat> July, mid July. And, um, you know, I went in there and I actually went to the Bluebird. I was going to sing some of my own, some, not my own songs. I was going to sing some of the songs that I sang at that first gig of mine. And when we went to the Bluebird, I realized about halfway through that show, everybody that was getting up was singing songs they had written. And some, you know, you had never heard. They were like, oh, here's a new song. And then some were massive hits. You know, I remember the dude who wrote the dance for Garth Brooks, uh, Tony Arata, got up. And boy, he sang that song and it blew my face off. And um, that, you know, that is what turned me on. More, more than anything is hearing the original songwriters sing their songs. And again, I'm, I'm so naive. I did not know anybody in Nashville got paid to write us to write songs. I didn't know publishing companies existed. Um, I was so oblivious to that. And I, I found that out, you know, that night. And, um, and like I said, I left and honestly, man, I mean, look, I don't know if this is good or bad, but songwriting is, it's, it's another addiction. You know I mean? To me, it is, it's that invigorating, it's having a thought, from scratch out of nowhere it's putting it down on paper with my friends it's completing that sentence and turning it in and handing it to somebody saying look at what we created i mean that is a that's a high for me i mean that is a, a legit it does whatever alcohol you know what i mean it, it is and, it, and it's fleeting you know it's like i'm always on to the next one really really quickly um, but that's but I'm awesome. Just, I'm it, your classic addictive personality. Yeah, I've heard you say that. I've heard you say, just give it to me and it becomes a drug, even if oh, it's dude, not. Right. It's, it's terrible. But songwriting, it's the opposite. Like alcohol or drugs, you do them, you get wasted and it's gone. The, I mean, I've I written 10 songs. You know what I mean? I yeah. think I've written like three songs that are good. Um, I want to, I'll send you, I'll send you two songs. I think you'll like Go one, on. one of these songs I think could be a fucking hit, man. Okay. <laughs> let me just let, a real quick side note. Okay. I waited yeah. tables for 11 years. Okay. You know who, uh, Clive Davis is. Yeah. Clive. I waited on Clive Davis. Okay. A bunch. And, uh, you know, I'm a big mouth, you know, and I'm like, I wrote, I wrote a song and I think it's a fucking hit. And he liked me, okay? So he gave me his email, and uh, and I sent him the song. Not a great version. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Not the greatest yeah. version of the song. And he wrote me back, and he said, and, and Clive Davis, like, picked the biggest stars of the 60s. You know what I mean? He was the president yeah. of fucking Sony Music, whatever. Like, ridiculous. He wrote me back, and he's like, I'm sorry to tell you, I do not think your song is a hit. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's a deep cut. And I think you have uh, talent, great. but a deep cut from Clive Davis was, it felt good. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, it, that's a big deal from him. Yeah, it, it was fucking cool. But what I was going <laughs> to say is like, first of all, I am very envious of the fact that you had a dream. And I mean, like, dude, I love making my podcast. People love dopey and I'm, I'm in on dopey. Like you're in on songwriting, just on to the next, yeah. let's get it done. I'm totally addicted to it to the point of, I used to be on dope and now I'm on dopey kind of thing. Um, I love it. but the greatest thing about dopey and the greatest thing about songwriting is that before you're on to the next, that shit is done and it lives. You've created yeah. something that lives on 
And uh, I love that. Who were your favorite songwriters? Like, who did? You, who were your heroes? Oh man, you know I have some eclectic taste just in music in general. Growing up, I I didn't you know I didn't love country music. Honestly, I I thought it was pretty cheesy, and I probably thought that just because my parents liked it. You know, sure. But um, man, I I grew up. My first, my first love was just rap, and I just loved Tupac. I mean, I had his, his double live C or his double CD, um, you know, in my truck for like a year. Um, but on the rock side, I was a big ACDC fan, a big Green Day fan. Uh, I loved Coolio. Uh, I loved Snoop. I loved. Um, I said Tupac already. My first CD was Mariah Carey, Vision of Love. That was crazy. Um, I got into Eminem. I was I was on the Dave Matthews train for a little while. Um, man, I just I loved it all. On the countryside, I kind of started falling in love. I, these aren't country bands, but they they were gateway, and it was like Almond Brothers, Alabama, um, Southern Rock, the band, stuff. the band. There's a lot of classic rock kind of led me. You know, Marshall Tucker, Creedence Clearwater, that kind of thing. And then uh, I heard a Tim McGraw album, and the, the lyrics just smashed me in the face. But, man, as a songwriter, I've had a couple of writers really pour into me. One is Paul Nelson. Uh, he wrote with me about every uh, week for a year or two. A guy named Tony Hazleton. Uh, if I've ever written a good song, it's, it's because of them, too. My actual, honestly, man, the, the, my, my biggest idol the the greatest, in my opinion, the best songwriter to ever walk through Nashville is Shane McAnally. And he is actually, I met him in a Smoothie King while I was working at Costco, kind of like your Clive Davis story. He gave me his actual email in line at Smoothie King. And now he is, he's, he's, while I, he's why I exist. He signed me to write for Smack publishing which is his publishing company and then he started monument records just to give me a home to make records so, so what so what didn't Sony happen and, what didn't happen for me with clive davis happened for you with this guy exactly yeah, yeah i didn't want to <laughs> thank rub you it in your face thank you thank <laughs> yeah. you for rubbing it in it was, I, that's uh, great it was crazy i remember getting home and being like there's no way this is this dude's real email um but man i was desperate i i had um Man, we were, you know, that was when I was working at Costco, and I think he just, praise God, he saw something in me, and um, it changed my life. I mean, it, it was our relationship has, without a doubt, changed my life. Well, the hip hop influence is obvious. It's very funky, like like the the riffs and 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 the right. rhyme scheme is is very funky and and, and hip hop, and like hip hop like lives in country. Uh, when did that happen? Like, when did when did country music become hip hop with twang? Like, how did that happen? Could you break it down for me in the audience? Oh shoot! You know, I mean, people would probably disagree with me, but I think it always has. I mean, right. Let's look at you know, 1979. Devil went down to Georgia. Yeah. You know, Devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make it. It sounds like Tone Loke could have could have cut that song, but yeah. he didn't. There's like fiddles and all kinds of stuff. No one would like call that rap, but I'm pretty sure it is. And then, um, you know, country people have been talking in songs 
uh, uh, recently, you know, uh, Dirt Road Anthem, Jason Aldean, I think if um, it comes from a believable standpoint, like where somebody's like, oh, this, this dude's not trying to rap, um, right. He just, it just is in him. Then it's, and it's okay. And you're always going to get, you know, those traditional fans who are just like, no, nah, that, it, that's not cool. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not allowing that to be country. Um, but you know, rhythmically, if you, if you just don't sing some stuff that you've heard have so much melody in country music it's it's essentially the same thing and also man i get a lot of uh i'm just not like i like i was saying earlier i i, I don't i don't like i don't like the over singing part of of some country like i just i just like tell me like it is you know like don't don't yell at me you know like let's just sing it just sing a song you know and um but i, I believe rap and country have kind of coexisted uh, for quite a while, man. No, and it's the same way that, like, it was actually, now that I think about it, it was a really stupid question, so I apologize. I apologize, I Walker that. Hayes. Because if you think about it, hip-hop was, was the voice of the street, and country was the voice of, of, of the street, too. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. country and R&B was connected from, from, you know, the beginning of time. Hank Williams and, and, and blues, and, and it's like, it's all connected, so... So I appreciate yeah. that. Now let's get back to your bone crunching addiction and alcoholism. So you're fucking a couple months sober and do you ever go to 12 step or no? So I went to, I, I, I have an incredible kind of a, kind of an incredible first, my, my, my first, like I go to AA for me um meeting and it was when Laney and I lost our seventh child. So we so Laney and I she's pregnant with number seven. And I'm very uh, sorry about that by the it's way. Okay, My man, condolences. Dude, it's, it's it's literally the greatest thing. It's the only part of my life I wouldn't trade for anything because it led me to Christ. But man, we're cruise control. I'm sober. Um my career is actually doing all right. Uh, we had a song called You Broke Up With Me. It was like top 10. I'm supposed to sing on the CMT Awards June 6th, four years ago, 2018. And um, it, it comes up. We have one one ultrasound. The baby's like super healthy, perfect. Everything is great. Lainey goes into labor that day, the, the, the morning of me singing in the CMT Awards. She goes into labor. Everything's normal. We decided to have a home birth because we'd almost had a couple kids in the car on the way to the hospital. So we were like, "Hey, why are we doing that? Um, all we, all you do is get on the bed and have the kid. You know, just we can just do that at home." And she goes into labor. Something's weird. Uh, it's not progressing as fast as as we've had in the past. And mind you, look, we're not. I'm not some you know, gynecologist, but I've seen six kids born. I, I know, I know what it's like when Lainey has a baby and I just knew something was slower like this. They, they usually come fast. Once she feels like this, boom, we have a baby. And, um, I, man, it sounds, it sounds crazy, but I'll never forget it. The, the midwife said, Hey, we, we go get her Gatorade and our neighbor had a Gatorade. And in the moments that I went to do that, I come back, and it's about eight in the morning 
and they the the midwife she went from hearing the heartbeat just strong everything's fine to there's no heartbeat call 911 and um we lost the baby you know i get to the they we, we rush to the hospital i'm in this room by myself doctor comes out says hey it's a girl but we we tried to resuscitate but we couldn't now we're trying to stop the bleeding with Lanny. It was crazy, man. Horrible. It was literally the worst day of my entire life. Um, you know, almost lost Lanny. When I saw Lanny waking up, I mean, she looked, she basically looked dead. Her body was like freezing. And then we held Oakley, you know, and, um, you know, we passed her around and just held her as long as we, we thought it was healthy too. And, um, she met, you know, my, my daughter got to hold her and, uh, my best bud, Craig, it, it was just, dude, it was a nightmare. And, um, I was wrecked. And, uh, so, you know, the shock of all this, um, you know, I didn't immediately go to the bar, but the day that we buried Oakley, I've never been so broken, just con confused. Yeah. I mean, I was just destroyed. I and, can't um, imagine. I'm, I, I get in my car and I drove to this bar, it's called 55 South, it's in Franklin, and man, I just wanted to fight. I, my, and I had, it, I had it all planned out. I was like, I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna, have, um, I'm gonna have a couple shots, a couple beers, and I'm gonna just get, you know, I'm gonna get riled up, and I'm gonna find the biggest person in that bar, and I'm just gonna start whooping their ass, and and I'm gonna go till somebody just beats the shit out of me, you know. And I know that sound like I don't even do that. Like I'm I'm not even that guy. I just didn't know what to do. That you were day. in so and much I pain. Just, I just wanted to hit everything I saw, and I was just mad, man. And so. I go to this bar and I get to this bar and um, I look down at the, at the pocket of my door and my wallet's not there. And I turn around, the bar is like two miles from my house. I turned around and I kind of kind of snuck inside the front door. Mind you, this is the day we buried Oakley. Like we we have literally come from the cemetery that day. And um, hold up, hold up. I, I up. walk. Up to that point, were you sober? Had yeah. you okay? So how much time had you had up to that point? Two years. Okay, so you have two years. You bury your newborn, and you're prepared to 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 get fucked up. Yeah, I just am. I'm on a mission, and I go back inside of my house, and man, I mean, this this is one of the more difficult moments of my life. But I, and it's my fault. I mean, I walk in, and I'm standing in the the hallway of my house and I see my wife through the, through the hallway and she is sitting by herself. Um, the kids are just kind of doing their thing, you know, playing and some of them are, are outside, you know, and my wife is just sitting all alone on the couch. And, you know, as a husband, I'm embarrassed, just so ashamed. I mean, I look back and I'm just like, what? you know, what a selfish endeavor. You know I mean? I, I have no concern. I got no concern for my kids, what they're going through mentally. My, my favorite person in my entire life is, is in the back seat, basically, to me just self-destruct, just falling off the wagon, not falling off the wagon, but like cannonballing 
ready off for the it. wagon just for, for for my selfish reasons and there's the love of my life you know that i'm not i'm not protecting i'm not supporting i'm abandoning and and what's you know the last thing she needs is to to cope with the loss of having kids the loss of her child the emptiness of coming home you know she birthed a baby that was dead she did everything a mom does. She carried a baby nine months. She, she goes through labor. She almost dies. She comes home with nothing except the, to heal. Her body has to heal from an emergency C-section. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to go to the bar and just fuck it all up, you know? And, and um, so I just, I, I mean, I crumbled. And I just, you know, Lainey... Um, we got on my phone and she found a meeting and, and, uh, you told her, hold up. You told her, you told her you were like, I'm ready to go drink. I've had enough. I said, I said, I can't, you know, I said, I'm so ashamed to tell you this. This is what I want to do. And we cried and hold up, um, hold up though. This is like, that's, that's a really brave moment. Like that's a really, I was, I was so fed up with me, you know, it, it, like I said, I mean, when I walked in the house, I just, all I saw was the reflection of this asshole. And and again, it was just, it was my whole life in in front of my eyes. It was like, this is what, this is what Walker does. He just protects him. You know, he runs selfishness, everything right to this bottle. And so she found me in AA meeting and man, I honestly, I, I drove to this meeting I'll never forget a big ass rainbow over 96 highway 96. When I, when I drive to this meeting, it's like a mile it's between me and the bar. I get out. Uh, I walk in. It's like, share your, it's like, share your testimony day. You know, basically like it's, it's not like a conceptual from the steps meeting. It was just like a, for new people. And, um, this guy, gets up and the first words out of his mouth were I was angry and um bro that's all I needed to hear I remember sitting in that metal chair staring at my foot my foot still had dirt on it from the grave right site and I didn't say a word to anybody I, I never I didn't I didn't say anything to anybody I listened to that guy and, and I, and I heard, you know, I heard the rest of the meeting and I left, but that meeting saved my life. Um, and then since then, um, you know, I've been to several multiple locations. One of my favorite things is I like to find a meeting when I'm in another town. Um, but, uh, bro, AA is an amazing establishment and it, it saved my life that day. And when did you find uh, Jesus? Like, I'm a spiritual person. Like, for me, God yeah. is, like, God, be, you know, I, I didn't have God. I grew up kind of, like, my dad was a, I grew up in a Jewish family, basically atheist. You know, like, my dad yeah. always called himself an orthodox atheist, which is that he loves the food <laughs> and the jokes, but he hates the fucking religion because religion separates yeah. people. I found God to get sober, you know, I, and I, I yeah. wanted to get high, like with God, like with psychedelics and see infinite God, spirituality shit. Uh, how did it go from, from no God to God? Like when you talked about the, the death of Oakley kind of making you find Christ, how did that play out? Yeah. So that broke me. 
as a as a as a man. I mean, if I, if I had any if I had any any faults, you know, thoughts of that I that I had any control in this life, you know, losing Oakley just crushed all those, and there was, there was nothing else to hold on to. And you know, my job felt meaningless. Moving on felt meaningless. Life just kind of felt meaningless, man. I mean, just you know, lying there. Um, you know, remembering, recalling, holding Oakley's cold body, um, you know, being with my wife, looking at one of the most joyful people I'd ever known and seeing how far um, hurt had taken her into just this deep sadness and this lifeless, just emptiness. It was kind of a hopeless feeling. And um, as I moved on, you know, time, time healed. And uh, I was able to get back out. And when I was back out on the road and, and trying to function, you know, trying to really carry my family just back to normalcy, I would, I would give myself these tasks. Like when I go on the road, I'm going to make it about my fans. That's what's going to charge me. And when I come home, I'm going to make it about my kids and my wife. And that's what's going to carry me. And, and, man, I just realized my inadequacy, just my depravity i mean i could i could i could stay focused on these good goals for maybe seven minutes and then i was back to selfish me wanting isolation wanting privacy wanting a coping mechanism for you know the pain of life and that began to frustrate me because there's a lot of things that i can remain loyal to like for instance songwriting like i would never not write a song every day you know that's that it consumes me but I couldn't be a good person. And um, I was dreary from the road. I needed rest. And um, my wife and I, we would continue to communicate about things. And um, man, one night I said, I, I told my wife, I said, find somebody gross. My wife is a believer. I said, find somebody as disgusting as me who has actually been transformed. Right. And, um, you know, she couldn't think of anybody that I would accept as a, as an adequate answer, but somebody shared with her a book called Rosario. It's it's by Rosario Butterfield. It's her testimony and it's called secrets of an unlikely convert. And you guys, I read this book. I've never related so much to her hate for hypocrisy in the church, her wounds from the hypocrisy in the church, and then her desire you know, for transformation. I, I read that book overnight on a bus, didn't go to sleep. And the next day I snuck into a Barnes and Noble and had my head down. I didn't want anybody to recognize me. And I purchased a Bible and uh, man, that was three years ago. You know, my testimony wasn't fast. I mean, it's not like I, it's not like I quit drinking, found Jesus, you know, it's not like some movie, but I began to dive into the scriptures, man. And then I realized I do need a savior. You know, there's there's no there's no way. Um, you know, I can't save myself. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go sinless from this moment on. Um, you know, I need forgiveness for my past, future, present sins, and I need salvation. And um, I trusted I trusted Jesus. And and um, yeah, so that's kind of how I got there in a nutshell. That's a 
consolidated version. I think that's the most Jesus we ever had on Dopey, but I appreciate it. Mm. I think it's good. I think it's good to hear your story. And like, you know, like, uh, like I told you, I was at a meeting this morning and the spiritual piece involved in 12 step is like everything. Did you have a spiritual component of your recovery before, you know, this book and, and, and this real conversion? Like, what was your spirituality? No. Before? There was none. It was an empty, empty There was space. none. I was an atheist. I, I hated God. I didn't hate God. I, I would have said I don't hate God because if I hate him, that makes him a God. You know, it makes him exist. It didn't exist. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I was very, look, I'm not a smart person, but, but I was well, I was pretty well read, you know, for a 30-year-old atheist. You know, I mean, I, 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 I thought my mom, my wife and I fought about what we were what we were teaching our kid, you know, she would read them a, a Bible story and I would give them the, the what I thought was the real version. The scientific you know? version of why Noah's Ark is impossible totally, or something. Right. Totally. Right, right, and right. just, you know, we we did that for years and it was our it was really our only argument. So man, it's it's a, it's miraculous that a that a that a guy like me is is putting out a book about Jesus is um you know first and foremost that's that and I do. I mean, I I think, man. You know, I th like I said, I think a lot of times those those two years when I was sober, I would have been like, yeah, yay me. You know, I'm I'm boom willpower doing it right for the fan. You know, and um. But now as I reflect, you know, God was orchestrating all these events. And like I said, man. You know, I know it sounds absolutely insane to say this, but you know, Oakley her impact on the world is massive compared to any impact my music or my life. You know, I live, if I die tomorrow, 42 years compared to her, no years. She, her, she's an explosion of light that the world will be impacted um, by wow. forever for the good. But you refracted her light. You know what I mean? Her energy totally. got refracted through you and your music and it's all part of the same thing. So like, and you totally. put yourself as, as somebody who doesn't know you very well, I want to tell you this, you put yourself down too much. You're very smart. You're very talented. You belong where you are. Stop beating yourself up. That's your Jewish friend in New York. Ah. Okay. Give yourself <laughs> a break. That, bro. Give yourself a fucking break. Um, and the book is called glad you're here. And you wrote it with this guy, Craig Allen Cooper, an unlikely duo of the, of the, alcoholic country singer and preacher right yeah bro so you know i met craig at redeeming grace and i showed up hammered on a saturday and and the guy i wasn't his project he didn't judge me um he drank with me at times um i don't think he knew you know it wasn't right you know i don't think he knew the depth exactly what was going on yeah but um you know like i said he didn't deter me um, as a matter of fact, he made me feel so welcome that it was odd. It was, it was like, what's, I, I would, I would leave their house and think, what's the catch? Like, what is, what's going on? And, and I would almost be, be frustrated with myself saying, nah, those aren't your friends. Those are Laney's friends. There's, those are her religious Christian. Those are Christian people. You know, those aren't your, um, allies, you know, they're, they're not for you. They're, they're just for God, you know? this fake thing. And, um, so yeah, but man, Craig and his wife, Laura and their family, they embraced us. And he was one of the first people I told, 
that I trusted in Jesus. And we actually live next door. So we have, we have gone in seven, eight years, we've gone from complete strangers. I, I did not like them. And now we, uh, we, we live next door to them and we have ripped a fence out between our yards. And, uh, you know, that's what the book is about. It's very narrow and focused on my relationship with Craig and um, just how Jesus just breaks those walls down. And how people can connect. You know, it's the connection between oh, you and this guy. It's very beautiful. Completely. And then the other thing is while you're writing the book, somehow somebody, God, Jesus, Applebee's founder, shoots some fucking <laughs> thing into your brain and fancy light comes out of it. Correct, dude. C c completely unexpected. We're five year. We're five chapters into the book. Craig started it over COVID, and it became a project of mine and his. And um, you know, my daughter and I do this dance, and it is the, it is absolutely from the sky. I mean, God obviously wanted Applebee's to have a good year. He wanted dads and daughters all over the world to dance. And he wanted me, you know, which, you know, hey, I up on stage is fine, you know, however I can feed the kids. And now um, we, 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 we were able to get a bus for my family. So they, they go everywhere with us. When you do songwriting, were you ever just freestyling? Because fancy, like, sounds like a freestyle. You know what I mean? It sounds like it just yeah. comes from, like, like, fucking around, rapping. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was definitely that man. I mean, honestly, I met we we met with my we met with some friends and um, my actually co-writers and uh, it was one of our first writes together from COVID and dude, we were just telling the truth, you know. Um, I I love that song because it just it's so my family. My family is hard to please all the kids. But when I say Applebee's, man, everybody's jacked, even Laney. And so, um, man, I think a lot of people can relate. It's I got to tell you, though, just being 100% honest, I hear the song today, and I don't, I cannot comprehend it. You know, I have written 1,000 songs, at least, and I never in a billion years would have told you that's the one that is going to be around, you know, for 50 years, or that's going to turn a, you know, turn a corporation on its heel. Like I, I just, I still don't, don't understand what's, what's going on. But like I said earlier, man, I will take it. Oh yeah, man. Do you still can, like, and this is between you and me and the dopey nation. I don't think corporate corporate Applebee's is going to listen to the show. Can you still eat at Applebee's? Do you like it? Is it good? For, do you are you enjoying eating it at? Can you show up at Applebee's? Like what happens? Yeah, well, okay. So showing up is a different experience. There, you know, it's now it's it it, it can turn into a a meet and greet. But I don't mind, man. I mean, those are people that those are your people. They're, they're paying our bills, brother. They they buy records and um. But dude, I got it. I can't speak highly enough about Applebee's, bro. They've I have, I wish I had it so I could show you. I have a Applebee's gold card. So if it all, if it all goes down, you know, my career ends, I can eat at Applebee's for the rest of my life. And it's on the house. So how, how many, hold up, hold up. If you ever get to meet, I'm taking you there. Oh, you have, I need, I never, I never had an Oreo shake, but I need to know. You I know, need, 
I need to know how many gold cards do you think Applebee's put out? They have none. I'm the first gold card recipient Applebee's has ever had. Okay. Um, I work yeah. at this, I work at a famous deli in New York city called Katz's. Yeah. Okay. And we had our 125th anniversary. Okay. A couple of years ago. And you know, the comedian Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah. Gilbert yeah. Gottfried comes and he's the host of our, of our 125th anniversary. And we pay him, but we also give him a card like the Applebee's gold card, but it's the Katz's you can eat for free for life card. And Gilbert Gottfried was the only, oh, nice. he, he was in, but check this out. He was a New Yorker. He lived for Katz's, whatever. He came in the next week. He goes to the cashier. He shows the card and the cashier's like, what the fuck is this? You're not eating for free. <laughs> and we didn't honor the card. So does Applebee's across the country honor the gold card? No matter oh, what? Yeah, they when they when they gave it to me, they said, "Hey, give us a week because we have to explain. You know, we got to explain to the to all the franchises the Walker that, Hayes protocol when this shows up. Yeah, and I'm sure, I'm sure there will be times where people are like, "Oh, all right, what's what in the world is this?" But man, like I said, Applebee's is such a natural. It's just it's it's such a great way of describing me. I mean, that's just where I live. I mean, I grew up in strip mall land America. and, and um, you know, that's where I eat. Like I'm not a, I don't want to go to Ruth Chris. Like it takes too long and I don't like, I don't know the menu. Like I, I'm just not a, I don't give a, I don't care about like fancy food. I, I want something that I know. I know what I'm going to get and it's in every location. I mean, I waffle house. I love, um, Taco Bell. I love Applebee. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of just chain restaurants and, um, you know, we're, we're a huge family. And so that's, it's nice to have those places and, and for, and it really is, you know, that's fancy for us. You know, it's, it's like, um, that's a big deal well, to go, to go sit down. If it's not fancy, it's fancy. Like, um, but what it's I was, fancy light, yeah. what I was, what was I going to ask you? What about, uh, the thing about that is like, it's home everywhere. You know, that's their whole agenda is yes. to create home and you're on the road and it's home. And especially when it gets incorporated into your music and it, it becomes part of the story, uh, with AA, totally. AA as the follow-up, the chorus is what? I don't, I don't want to go to AA. What's, what's the chorus? Remind me. Yeah. So it's, you know, it says, uh, I'm just trying to keep my yeah. daughters off the pole. My son's out of jail. Yes. Trying to get to church so I don't go to hell. Just trying to keep my wife from figuring out that I'm married up. She married way, way down in Alabama where they love Nick Saban. Trying to write a song at local country station will play. Hey, I'm just trying to stay out of AA. And um, do you have the gold? Yeah, you do you know, have the I'm, wait? Do you have the gold card at AA too? I, I should, yeah, I should get the gold chip. Right. Uh, no, the um. The the thing about honestly that song, I knew um, I knew there was a lot of lines in that in that chorus that would get a lot of, of feedback and um, it's what I what I I meant was to stay out of AA is when when you go back when I go back to thirteen year old me and I'm in that you know school playground and it's it's like midnight 
and I'm I'm sipping that beer. The the end all goal was not to go to rehab. You know what I'm saying? It it was it it wasn't it wasn't to need AA. You know what I'm saying? It it was it was to just have a beer, like and be okay, be normal. And and so you know, and I think that's there's a lot. There's just a lot of depth to that statement. You know, I mean, um, when I wrote my first song. I didn't mean to drag my my family through poverty and be working at Costco in the morning and drinking to stay alive. But it's what I'm what I'm doing to stay alive is killing me. Like I didn't intend for it to go there. I just meant to write a song, you know, and it and it be good and for for people to like it and sing along, you know. And so it's funny, you know. I think that line speaks to the human heart. It's like a lot if you really take some things that you're doing sometimes it's good it's like you do things and you create things and you never knew like applebee's i didn't know that song i didn't know fancy like was was gonna change the world that it would be you know that it would put smiles on faces everywhere and that it would prop up the cell of a book called glad you're here you know i did i just i didn't see those things coming but a lot of things that we don't see coming can be negative like a need it's I'm, I'm not saying aa is bad but aa exists because there's there's something broken in us totally when's the last time you went to aa uh i went to aa with a buddy um right after covid he uh you know i love absolutely love um and i and obviously you do too but like the the bonds that I've made, the the friendships that have been united by my alcoholism is uh, are incredible, and I honestly wouldn't. I mean, I'm alive, and I wouldn't trade my addiction for some of those relationships. And so, a lot of times, I will go to some friends' first meeting with them, uh, and I love that, you know. Right. And you, and you get the, the constant contact, the conscience, conscious contact with church also, like you're doing totally. your recovery work through church. Um, and like one of my favorite things I interviewed, have you ever heard of the punk rock band? No effects. It's like, a, uh, I've heard the name. I don't know their music. I interviewed the drummer who was a fucking crazy drug addict. You know what I mean? And he was yeah. like, he was like, after I got sober, our band blew up. And it's like, it's kind of the same thing. Like, you you got recovery and, and your shit just fucking blew up. Do you think it's connected? Uh, I like this. I Maybe know, not connected. I, mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's easy to connect. However, um, you know, man, I think life is funny. And I, I will I will tell you straight up, bro success hasn't made staying sober any easier. Okay. You know what I mean, um, it hasn't, it's, it's success is, is a huge letdown. Uh, I love one of Jim Carrey's quotes. I'm going to botch it, but he says, you know, I wish everybody could, you know, their dreams would come true and they could make a million dollars just to see that it's not the answer. That's, that's to me what, success is it just makes me want more and so right. i wake up each day now fighting myself going don't don't grip so hard don't worry so much like you know um so circumstances are weird to me but it is odd i mean i it, it is um you know i get sober 
Amig Shane. Um, you know, I find Jesus and I'm sober and then fancy like pops up, you know, I mean, I do think there's a holy spiritual thing that happened in that room and what it was is just freedom. You know, I, I was, when we wrote fancy, like I was uninhibited. I was not aiming. I had no intention of that song going to country radio. I just knew I was telling the truth and I was having a good time doing it. And, um, that was a peaceful, it was a peaceful place. And it obviously translated How do you... in my mind was, uh, it, it was sober, you know, listen, I think, uh, you just said a lot of good stuff, but the thing you just said was something I, I was thinking about this morning. Like when you have something good and wanting more, how do you deal with it? Cause like, I mean, just painting that picture is like, that's the fucking truth. So how do you yeah. deal with it? Cause you, cause you're doing so well and like that's on the tip of your tongue. So how do you, how do you take it easy? How do you not grip so hard? How do you not like have self-centered fear about the next thing hitting the same or whatever? Yeah. No, man, just I, for, for me, it's a battle, like I just said. And I mean, I, I have a lot of just natural and, and also I, 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 I beg God to help me have gratitude and, um, gratitude is so important. I mean, I, I feel like if you don't have it, then all you are doing is, is looking at every circumstance in your life going, I wish it was different. But, you know, if I look at my kids who are alive, if I look at the beauty of losing Oakley and what it did for my family, you know, if I look at my wife for, for who she is, flaws and all, and just everything beautiful about our relationship, um, if I look at my sobriety, I mean, it's a it, dude, it is, I, you know, I tell everybody, and I truly believe this. If you if you are sober, if you're sober for two days, it's a freaking miracle. It's a it it is a miracle, you know. And um and then you know when you put on top like, I got to have one. I got to have a hit song, you know. I I I, I literally the way the, the the electricity runs in my home is because I'm paying the bills, writing stupid songs like fancy like. You know, I mean that's. I've got a lot to be grateful for. It's easy to overlook those, those things and go, Oh, I need more. I need to show the world how successful I am. I, I, I need to be, I need to grow this empire. I need to take care of my kids and generations, 50,000 years down the road with my, with my estate. And like, no, it doesn't matter. You know, um, I, I'm so grateful for my salvation in Jesus Christ. And, um, and man, just the lessons I've learned. I'm glad I'm dude, I'm just glad to be breathing today. You know, there was literally a day I woke up and I thought I was going to die. From like, this I thought thing. I couldn't stop it. I thought it was inevitable that my my heart literally just might stop because I killed it slowly but surely with a with poison, you know? And so gratitude is a is a great gift for me. Well, I, I appreciate that. And the other thing is even if fancy like can be seen in a silly way because the, because it's funny. It, the, the, one of the reasons it got so big was because of, of you and your daughter connecting and that being the evidence that makes it blow up. It, it undoes any kind of silly quality. It gives it the most, you know, heart 
you know, wrenching quality because that was the the seed of the success, the the love between you and your daughter. It's fucking so cool. Bro, we'll have Lee, me me and Leela will have that forever. Forever. Does yeah. she get I mean, mobbed at is... Applebee's too? Does Leela get oh, mobbed? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> A lot of people come up and they go, I thought it was you and then I saw your daughter. I know it was you, you know, and or uh, I recognize your daughter first. And um but man, she is Leela is special. She's seen every version of, of me. I mean, she's, you know, she's old enough to know what, um, what happened. what's happened to dad. Yeah. And I hope it will, it will impact her for the better. Well, Walker, I cannot thank you enough. Fucking you brought the, you brought the truth. I pre and Jesus, you brought Jesus to dopey. <laughs> so, so thank you, man, man. I appreciate it, bro. You got a good thing going and I'm, I'm honestly honored to be here. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you. I'm going to send you my song and you can tell me what you think, bro. Send it to me. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one better than Clive. All right. Wait, 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 give me an email. What's an email? I'm going to send you two songs. I want your opinion. Okay. okay? Thank you, Walker, man. You're the greatest. All right, bro. I'll talk to you. That was Walker Hayes. Uh, it was a joy to have him on the show. It was not the usual wall-to-wall dopey, but it was recovery. I was happy to finally have Jesus on dopey and a, and a country superstar. And now I'm joined by a fellow Jew. I would say my oldest friend, one of my favorite people in the world. Dave, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Dave. Hello, Dopey Nation. Great to be back. So Dave is in town for uh, our big 30th high school reunion. Yeah, 30th high school reunion and my dad's 80th birthday. It's making me feel old. Would you have come back just for the 80th? Yeah, I think so. Are you sure? I love my dad. That's nice. It's a big birthday. Okay, so let's, we'll move. And, and I, me and Dave's dad share a birthday. Me and Dave have been friends for 44 years, thereabouts. Thereabouts. With 43, a I think. But, but then but also uh, minus all those years where you didn't, wouldn't want to talk to me. So, but else, we were still friends though, right? We no, not during those twelve years. <laughs> we, we, were. we were not friends for twelve years. No. So then we've only been like maybe you're not my oldest friend. Oh yeah, you got to subtract twelve from forty-three, thirty-one. Yeah. It's still good. I, I, I you were always my friend, so I'm gonna keep you. I'm gonna keep you at the at that long forty-two and a half year, forty-three year mark. All right. So, what are your expectations about this uh, reunion? What are your thoughts? <sighs> you know. I, mean, I, I live in Seattle. I always ruin it by mentioning that we weren't friends for 12 years. Your face always changes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, listen. Well, we're, we're long over that, so that's all right. But the Dopey Nation needs to know that in a lifetime, when you're a drug addict, you might do something that's horrible, and you have to pay for it. And I did, and I paid for it with Dave. And you can listen to the episode with Dave. Do you remember the episode number? No. You'll find it. Go back and find it. Some people thought it was their favorite episode. Really? Yes. Yeah, wow. Well, it was hard-hitting and full of truth. Yeah. Now, but so we've, I've made amends. I've made solid amends to Dave. I make a living amends to Dave in my day-to-day life. And, uh, and I'm more than, I, I, it fills my heart with love to, to still have Dave in my life. You know that. Though. I do know that. And uh, so 30th reunion, thoughts? Oh, man. It's, uh, you know, the last one I went to was our 10-year reunion. Did you go to that one, too? No. No. Um, no, I was totally out using. That was was in the bad years. Yes. Uh, Yeah, and it's it's a weird thing to come back to. You know, so I live in Seattle for the last 16 years. First of all, I'm sitting in Dave's dad's uh, dining room here, and I spent so much of my 
growing up years here. It's it's so funny being back in this this room. It's weird memories on top of memories, it right? Is, it is. What does it make you feel? Uh, you know, I mean, on the one hand, I'm this middle-aged guy and I feel... Doctor. Middle-aged doctor. Middle-aged doctor. And on the other hand, it brings me back to the old days, the, the scrubby and proud days. So it, is there a story, when you come in here, is there a story that comes to you immediately? Absolutely. Okay. Us on the balcony making these paper airplanes, lighting them on fire and throwing them off the balcony and watching them glide off. Burning. Burning <laughs> over New York City. Did we throw anything else out the window that day? Yes, I believe we did, Dave. Do you remember? I remember microwaving something and then throwing it out the window. Were you here for the Emperor's Royal Guard paratrooper thing? Yes, I was. So we, we, what we did was we microwaved the Emperor's Royal Guard Star Wars figure. And then, um, or no, we microwaved the Chewbacca action figure. And then the arms and legs came off and it became a whistle. But then we... Didn't it land in a tree and it no, was there for years? The Emperor's Royal Guard, we strung up to a, a plastic bag, threw that out the window as a paratrooper, landed in a tree, and it was there for 20 years. It's amazing. Amazing. It's not there anymore? We also, I think, threw a whole set of Othello out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Every chip, you know? And recently, one of the Dopey Nation asked me about my own Othello plans. They, they posted on Facebook in the Dopey Nation group, Dave, what's happened to the Othello cookie? Are you curious? Yeah. Tell me. Well, listen, Dopey Nation. And for all the new listeners in the Dopey... I, I assume there are some new listeners in the, in the Dopey Nation because um, our numbers are growing. But if you don't know, I came up with this amazing idea to rejigger the black and white cookie so it was black and white in every bite, chocolate on one side, vanilla on the other, black and white in every bite. We're going to call this cookie the Othello based on the game the Othello game that me and Dave threw out the window so many years ago uh, a Top Chef chef do you watch Top Chef? No okay this guy he has a restaurant in Portland uh, his name is Gregory Gorday he met me we hung out he autographed his he autographed his cookbook for me I my Long Island accent is coming out wow. autographed Wow. autographed holy shit wow Dave I know that's bad is it? Yeah, autographed bad. how do you say it? Autographed. Yeah, autographed. Me too. That's how I say it too. Anyway, he hooked me up with this other top chef from Washington, D.C., this young woman. We talked on the phone. She thought I was crazy, and I realized I, I probably am not ready to pursue this dream. The Othello cookie is going to die? No, it's just on hold. It's a dream deferred. I mean, you've been talking about this for how many years now? I've been talking about it for about 10 years. This is like my dream to dunk a basketball on a 10-foot hoop. Did you ever do it? came so close and I never did it. So maybe the Othello would be like that. Yeah. However, if if Dopey blows up, maybe somebody will step up because I can't fucking bake a cookie. I can't bake a two-sided black and white cookie. Maybe you're the guy who provides the inspiration and not the guy who makes the thing. But I can't lose the, I can't lose the intellectual property either. Mm. Somebody, listen. You got to copyright that shit. It's my dad already did it. Oh really? There's Othello.com. There's all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Dopey Nation, listen. Is there a chef, a, a pastry chef that wants to take a shot at the Othello? Hit us up at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. I always want to like get old R stories into Dopey, you know, like, and I try to figure out what of our friend group or our experience going to high school and elementary school and, you know, whatever in Manhattan, like what are the best stories that translates to Dopey? Because we didn't do a lot of drugs. 
No. And I mean, also, I'm so curious of what of our experience is anything like anyone else's. Is it totally different or do you think it's it's similar to other people's experience? Holy shit. You know who just messaged me on Instagram? Who? MC Search. What? I'm going out to Rockaway Beach and I'm going to have MC Search on the show. Wow. That's right. That's great. I know. Very exciting. Very exciting. MC Search probably had a childhood that was kind of similar to ours. Did, didn't he grow up in Queens yes. or something? Yeah. yeah. Is he the, Jewish? Yes. Painfully Jewish. Yeah. There's a story about MC Search. Like, it's a fucked up story. He went over to Mike D's house. Do you hear the story? I know this story because I just read the Beastie Boys you, book. With you you story. tell the story. Well, from what I remember of it, anyway, uh, this was when he was just starting out or kind of coming up and the Beastie Boys Your were, voice is so soft on here. You don't what? sound like that on the phone. What are you What are you holding I'm, back I'm, for? I'm not holding back. I'm just trying to seduce the, the dopey the nation. It's a new tranquil Dave. I've never heard this voice. It's like Bob Ross. <laughs> we're going to put a few happy white trees in the back. I got a little titanium white, a little roll of paint. <laughs> Do you remember that I quoted Bob Ross in my yearbook? I did. We don't make mistakes. We only make happy accidents. You're doing the, the Jewish Bob Ross voice right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's really happening. Uh, wait, what was I even talking about? The oh, time MC that MC Search, Search went over to right, Mike right. D's house. So in the book, they tell the story of basically he was coming up, and I think he probably idolized the Beastie Boys, and he he wanted to. He kept calling Mike D to you know basically to kind of mentor him or something like get that. a record deal, get a record something. deal. Who knows? And Mike D was up in his apartment. Uh, maybe with Ad Rock and uh, it was Mike D and someone else and they were tripping on acid. They were tripping on acid. That's right. It's like that Louis C.K. episode. And uh, and he starts ringing the bell and they're tripping on acid and they thought it'd be really funny if they just started throwing shit. It actually comes back to our story of throwing shit out the window. So if you're in Manhattan, chances are, and you grew up in Manhattan, chances are you've thrown a lot of stuff out the window and they, they threw stuff. <laughs> they threw shit at him. At, at MC Search. And MC Search didn't like that. And then when Third Base came up, they started dissing the Beastie Boys and there was a beef in there. And you know, it's not even the Beastie Boys, it's just Beastie Boys. Have you ever said Beastie Boys? Well, what it, it stands for something. Yeah, but let's not get into all all that. Right, right. It's an acronym I don't know. And Dave, you're, you're a hardworking doctor, father of two, husband, ex-athlete. You're still a, a musician. You do a million things. I started playing ice hockey recently. No way. Yeah. Can you skate like that? I'm, I'm a pretty good skater. Yeah. So I'm, not, I'm not very good at hockey, but I'm a good skater. So you're not watching TV? Uh, I'm not really watching much Are TV. Are you watching no. anything on TV? Yeah. When I fall asleep at night and uh, we, my wife and I lie in bed and we put a Netflix show on and then it's very funny because we don't let our kids watch TV and we're such hypocrites that when the kids wake up and in the middle of the night and come in the room... We quickly close the computer and pretend we're asleep. Wow. So they don't catch us watching TV. So you lie to your children. Yeah. Basically. That's not good. That's, I mean, is it really lying? So wait, the kids don't watch TV? No. Neither of your kids watch any TV? Not really. They watch Tom and Jerry when we go to my in-laws place. That's bizarre. Yeah. So like, what, what, are, what are they doing? What do you do? Um, what do the children do? They, they play sports. They play piano. They, uh, you know, they play with Legos and stuff like that do they want do they long for television how old is the older boy arlo arlo's gonna be nine in july and no tv not really no. this is dave you grew up on television not not as much as you did nobody though. grew up I on mean, television as much as i did no. but I, you like the team i like night rider i watched night rider recently on netflix with him with arlo no alone Wow. I couldn't sleep one night. You should night share rider. the joys of, uh, of television. We, did, we do amazing... watch movies together sometimes. Okay, I like show what? them The Princess Bride. 
Did they like it? They loved it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Watch the Mighty Ducks parts one and two. That was fun. You, you know, know that guy that? is about to come on Dopey. Sean Weiss, Goldberg. Oh, the goalie? Yeah. No shit. I thought you were going to say Emilio Estevez was going to come on. I've been dying to have Emilio Estevez on Dopey for a long time. I feel badly for your children, though. I have to say, you're probably a better parent than I am, but I, I still feel badly. <laughs> but wait, can we go back to the BC Boys thing for a sec? Because yes. it, it triggered a thought from yes. your, your other question. Yes. So thinking about our childhood and reading... I can't get used to the soft voice, though, but keep going, what? please. <laughs> Speaking of the Beastie Boys. No, right. that's even worse. It's uh, your professional voice, right? This is the prof I don't get the professional voice. Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Roth. Hello, this is. Uh, <laughs> hello, my name is Big Al Dresco. We have a wide selection of cars and trucks to choose from. Hey, Al, the pizza's cold. Oh, this pizza's hot. Nobody's going to know what you're talking about. There was that. a TV commercial in the 80s when Dave didn't watch TV. Uh, in the 80s, there was a, on cable TV for a, a, a car dealer in Queens called Autoland Discount. And the spokesperson, the spokesperson's name was Big Al Teresco. And Dave was obsessed with Big Al Teresco. And every day he'd come into school and he'd, he'd do his imi imitation. And it was, there's this guy, he goes... Hello, I'm Big Al Teresco with, from Autoland Discounts with a wide selection of cars and trucks to choose from. And then there's a woman who, who has a pizza, and he says, Hey, Al, you want some pizza? And Al touches the pizza to his mouth, and he goes, Oh, this pizza's cold, but our prices are hot. What? This pizza's cold, but our prices are hot. <laughs> I don't remember you. I, don't, I remember you doing it like dead. Here, you, you do Al Teresco. Oh, right. When's the last time you did Al Teresco? 35 years ago. I do it like every day. <laughs> you see how practiced I am? I love that. I love that at Big Al's living on. Oh, yeah. Big yeah. time. Anyway, yeah. Beastie Boys. Anyway, so what, that's okay. What it makes me think of is in our childhood, how reading this Beastie Boys book, and I don't know, I, I bet... How much of the Dopey Nation do you think has read the Beastie Boys book? Half? No. Quarter? No. A tenth? I'd say uh, maybe a quarter. All right. Well, for those Maybe who, a sixth. Dopey Nation, if you read the Beastie Boys book, please it's send a good an book. email. It's amazing. It's, it's a great book. It's not only a good book. I, I was so into it, and I bet you were so into it, that um, you listened to it and read it. No, I didn't, but I actually want to because it's... Uh, I listened to it and they, read it. Do they narrate it? They narrate yeah, it and I, they have guest narrators. Oh, man, I definitely it's want to. It's incredible. I would love to. But, you know, um, watching the, the, what is it, the Spike Jones like, that reiteration, that, that sucked, though. Not so if good. you watch that, don't let that dissuade you. It wasn't good because they do too much bullshit shtick. Yeah, it's too, too shticky. Not good shtick. Uh, no, no. Um, but anyway, so I still want Mike D to come on Dopey though. So it's fine. I thought you were trying to get Ad Rock to come on. Dopey. I always wanted Ad Rock to come on Dopey, but Mike D would be a better guest. Mike D seems like has way more drug stories, but also I think Ad Rock would, he would just try and fuck with you more. And Mike D I think would be a little more sincere. That's Ad my, Rock my is a dick on every show he goes on. Yeah. Like I, I heard him on Marin, him and Mike D and Mike D was really kind of sincere. Mike D's a people pleaser and wants to make the, do a good job. And Ad Rock's just kind of fucking with him. Ad Rock hates being in the interview, but I'll, I, I told you my personal experience, right? No. So I'm at Katz's, I'm waiting tables. Ad Rock is in my station. I like... Alone? No, with, 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 with a couple of people. Yeah. And I like die a thousand deaths. You know what I'm saying? Like I am like a mental patient. And I'm like, and I'm doing The Last Jewish Waiter right. in that period. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to get Ed Rock to be on The Last Jewish Waiter. 
and I'm and I'm like all sorts of Beastie Boys lyrics are going on in my head, and I want to ask him like, what does your girlfriend's cat in mean? Like I what, what does he say? <laughs> like, I, like, I'm, I want to ask all these Beastie Boys questions, you know? You're from Sick Caucus. I'm from Manhattan. You're jealous of me because your girlfriend is cat. And what is that? <laughs> what is it? That's I don't know. Great question. I want to know what cat is. And I said to him, I was like, so I do this show called The Last Jewish Waiter. He's like, that's incredible. And I was like, I want you to come on it. He gives me his email. I know his email by heart. I'm really? tempted to say it what it is on here, but I'm not going to. And uh, I write him. He never writes me back. You've memorized his email? Yes. I've written him <laughs> many. Let's just say uh, I've, mem- I, I've, I've, I've written him several times. Let's say several, many times. I know his email by heart. Yes. And it's not his name. So that should tell you something. And um, years pass. Yeah. Two years pass. Three years pass, maybe. Yeah. Never see him again. Uh and I've written him, you know, probably a dozen times or something. Right. He comes in again with, with his brother and I'm there yeah. and he walks up to the back counter and I went, you never wrote me back. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I know. He and remembers. I, you yeah. Though. He goes, I know. And I said, why didn't you write me back? He goes, I don't know. I said, why didn't you say no? Why don't you say no? I, I'm not going to do the last Jewish waiter. It's not going to happen. But why don't you just take a minute and write me back? Cause it meant something to me. And he's like, I know I feel so guilty. I'm such an asshole. Wow. And I go, is that why I haven't seen you at Katz's in all this time? And he said, yes, probably. Wow. I know. Wow. Well, that gives me actually, uh, that's, that's kind of heartwarming in a certain way that he, he was sincere. I mean, even, even if like he was avoidant, he was sincere in the end, as opposed to just being like, eh, making an excuse or he was, he was, it was, it was amazing. But, but Mike D like in that book, there's crazy Mike D drug stories. Yeah. And he is like a more effervescent podcast guest. Right. But I was always more of an ad rock fan. Yeah. 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 So what are you going to do with that? Well, all right. So wait, can I, can I uh, yes, go back to this, this, I, this I thing I've been thinking about? Yes. So I read the book yes. and for those who haven't yet, it, you know, there's a lot of stories from them growing up and you know how they, even before they formed the Beastie Boys or Beastie Boys. And uh, anyway, there's a lot of them just kind of like wandering around New York City, going to, you know, adventuring, going to shows, whatever. And it, in some ways, I'm reading this and it's reminding me of us, of our group of friends growing up in that we were wandering around New York City and joking around, like, you know, just kind of fucking around and laughing and making shit up. And, and so I'm, I'm reading this and I, I just, I'm thinking about some, you know, they're Jewish where some of us are Jewish, they're, you know. And, uh, and suddenly I was like, but when they were kind of walking around and fucking around, they were also forming this band, this punk band at the time. And they were being like really creative. We were being creative and fucking around, but we never like actually coalesced anything. And it just made me think about, you know, how fun it would have been if we were trying to create something like that and play music back then. And, uh, but then like, I don't know what their lives are like now. I mean, I don't know what their lives are like now either. I know Mike D does a podcast in Hawaii. Uh, Ad Rock is married, has a little kid, uh, and but this is the truth. I'm gonna I'm gonna get, break down the truth for yeah, you yeah. because there are so many different levels to ideas being coalesced and and coming together or not coming together. Like Dopey is an idea that coalesced and came together, but not like Beastie Boys. You know, Dopey is. You know, it exists. Right. I put it out every week. I never stop working on it. It's my right. it's my band. In high school, you were an athlete. You were you were your dreams were being coalesced on the court and the field on a daily basis. Trying to dunk. 
I was in a band and my band coalesced, but yeah, it's all about work. Beastie Boys put in work um, and I'm going to make a, a leap of faith here. It's all the same thing. Like, let's say you're a drug addict trying to get sober. It's about putting in that same work. Anything you want to do. I mean, that's the, the coolest thing to me. Like 41 years of my life, I barely tried to do anything. You know, like I tried a little bit to do this or that, but I refused to put in hard work and have hard work pays off or have hard work pay off. And with this, with Dopey, I don't give up. I never stop. I'm like fucking relentless. With recovery, I'm the same way. I mean, why have, Why do I know Adam Horowitz's email by heart? Yeah, I mean, you've got to be, right? I mean, in recovery. But it, yeah, it's it just, it's interesting that I, I feel like all of, all of our group of friends, we didn't know how to work hard. And, and, and somehow we all figured it out at some point. Maybe, maybe. Yes, yes. But it took a long time. It's like, because we got, we had enough success without trying to make us feel good. And also our heroes at the time, it didn't, wasn't cool to try hard. It's true. And, and we were having a great fucking time. We, we had a great childhood. It was fun. Now, before we go, I want to, I, I, and Dopey Nation, let us know what you think about the, the Jewish Bob Ross, my, my good friend Dave and his soft spoken, you don't usually sound like this. I, it's throwing me off a little bit. Do you <laughs> mind this weird trip down memory lane? Send a, an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Now, before we go, I'm going to read another email because I want to hear Dave's response to some crazy drug addict email. All right, Dave, you with me on this? I'm with you. I'm ready. All right. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Hey, Dave, just wanted to send you an email because I've been listening and enjoying the podcast for years now. I was first on to, turned on to it via This American Life, and it quickly became one of my favorite podcasts. I have to admit, I only I have only really listened up until where Chris passed, re-listening to episodes many times over the course of the years. I think the chemistry you guys shared was so special and entertaining and interesting, and I know he would be so happy and proud of you continuing the show. Although I myself take drugs... Recreationally, I'm lucky in that I'm not afflicted, but listening to you guys really opened my eyes and educated me on how addiction truly is an illness. Both you and Chris prove this in that it doesn't matter if you are intelligent or funny or talented, an illness is an illness. This challenges the common perception of drug addicts being hopeless or lazy or dumb. Anyway, I just wanted to say thank you for all the laughs you have given me over the years and to keep doing what you're doing. Cheers, Michael. And I'm going to say Michael is from England because he spelled favorite with a U. And you're a doctor, Dave. So would you want to speak to this this uh, illness of addiction email? Oh, wait, first of all, I just want to, I mean, just as a guy, I want to say this is a sweet fucking email. What a sweet email to get. You thank know? you, Michael. It's a very sweet email. Yeah, Michael, nice job. Thank you. Um, thank you, Michael. And it, it's bloody sweet, Michael. Oh, Cheers, God. mate. <laughs> But um, by I, the way, they have a show right now on yeah. the Sex Pistols yeah. on Hulu. It's like and it, the guy who made Train Spotting made it, and I was so excited for it. And it's kind of like a dud. Uh, I like it anyway, though. Yeah. I like it because I like bad shit, and I love biopics. And uh, and Steve Jones, the guitar player from the Sex Pistols, is yeah. probably right there as one of my number one dopey really? dream guests. Right there, his really? book Lonely Boy, incredible. Anyway, oh. back to the email. All right, all right. Um, well, first of all, I'm not an addiction medicine doctor, so I can't speak professionally in that way, but I, you know, I, I think, uh, what's his name? Michael? Yes. I think, yeah, I think Michael's right. And I think, it, you know, it's more about a perception issue than about my medical opinion that I think there are a lot of people who don't do drugs, who have a perception 
a, a black and white perception. There's drug addicts and then there's other people and drug addicts are bad and other people are good or something, you know, some kind of black and white shit like that. And uh, it's cool that it sounds like here's a guy who does some recreational drugs, but it opened his eyes to new ways of seeing things. Let me ask you this. You're yeah. not an addiction doctor, but you are a doctor. I am. Do you see addiction as an illness? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, you know, I, so I, I work mostly with uh, people with amputations and, and work with, with veterans at the VA hospital. I know what you do. I know. I'm telling the dopey I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there, you know, there's plenty of patients who drug addiction is part of what they, you know, they have in their So you list deal of with some addicts. Absolutely. And yeah. Seattle is chock full of fucking addicts. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Tons of tons. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's one of the, you know, it's one of the disease states that, you know, we have to think about in how we treat someone and what, what we come up with as a plan to try and help them. Well, maybe one day you can return to the show and we can have some pseudo medical discussion about this stuff. Okay. I'll, I'll really use my Dr. Bob Ross voice when we do that. Then. I don't, I don't look forward to that at all. Okay. I, I, I just want to use a fake Long Island accent. I can't believe I said autographs. It's, I it's like it's it's, really, it's lingering in my head. Yeah, it's very strange. Anyway, Dave, thank you for for stopping in on the Dopey Show. My pleasure, Dave. And um, and if you if you're curious, hold on, really fast. And for all the dopes in the Dopey Nation that never heard Dave on the show, it was episode one seventy one, a painful look into our twelve lost years of friendship. This was a much more lighthearted conversation than that episode was. Yes, there's a there's a big time dope out there. His name is B Getz. He has his own podcast called the Upful Life Podcast. Shout out to B Getz. He thought that your episode was one of his very favorite episodes. Really? Yes. Well, thanks, B Getz. All right. Uh, thank you, Dave. Walker Hayes, man, fancy-like. Uh, tell us what you thought. Thank you, Walker. Thank you to Michael and England and Britta and everybody out there in the Dopey Nation for making Dopey such a robust podcast and probably the greatest podcast in the history of the world on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. Couldn't you say it probably is that? Probably is. Probably. Who's okay, now before we go, Dave, you know that uh, my little my song, Good So Bad, we used to close the show with. It's a great song. Thanks, Dave. No, uh, I'm serious. I really, I really love that song. Well, I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, people do covers of it and send in their covers. Yeah. And um, we have this guy uh, who's a friend of mine now, actually. He was a punk rock guitar player. His name is Mike Mart. He was in a big punk rock band called Tex and the Horseheads, and he was in another big punk rock band called Thelonious Monster with Bob Forrest. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe not. doesn't matter. I have through Dopey. He did a, a cover of Good So Bad. I played it last week, but some people were questioning who it was. So mm. I wanted to tell you and the Dopey Nation, I'm going to play it again. This is Mike Mart and then this Instagram star, Nick Tharp, who does a, a, an Instagram page called Foul Peralta where he does weird versions of bands. So check out Nick. Check out Mike Mart on the Bob Forrest Don't Die podcast. Dave, thank you again for coming on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing the cover. Nice. And stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Right, I'm going to play this song, but only because uh, I think it's going to make me look a little bit.
Where did you write? What did you write that? I like the lyrics. I hope they can hear. 